Welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast by the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. I'm Eric Goldwine, and on the upcoming show, I'll be talking with Jeanette Sandor, an RN and legal nurse consultant with 20-plus years of experience in nursing homes. In the interview, we chat about the common types of nursing home negligence cases, the increased role of defensive documentation, and how pen and paper can help you protect your loved ones. Thank you for tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Nursing Home 411 podcast. I'm here with Jeanette Sandor, an RN and legal nurse consultant and is on the board of directors for the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. Hello, Jeanette. Thanks for coming on the show. Hi, Eric. Thank you so much for having me. I'm going to start by asking you about your current work as a legal nurse consultant for lawyers who conduct nursing home negligence cases. Now that was a mouthful. Can you explain? <laughs> uh, can you explain what kind of work you do as a legal nurse consultant and what it, what exactly that entails? Sure. So I get my clients are lawyers who have received cases that are potential nursing home negligence cases, and of course, the lawyers are only receiving information from families, loved ones of the, the person who's living in a nursing home and does not yet know whether it's truly a case or not. But they mm-hmm. go ahead and obtain medical records, and they send it to an expert like myself, someone who knows the standards of care and the regulations that govern nursing home care. And what I do when I get the records is I review them and I determine whether the injuries were caused by negligence or did the nursing home do everything they were supposed to do and despite that the injury occurred. Mm-hmm. So I give the lawyers a report on whether, in my opinion, based on the review of the records, whether there is a case or not. Okay. Now, can you walk me through uh, an example of a, a case you worked on, either uh, or recently or just a memorable case that you think speaks to uh, the kind of uh, situations that you come across in this role as a, a legal nurse consultant? Sure, sure. So most of my cases have to do with developing pressure ulcers or injuries from falls. One of the most memorable cases that I had was a woman with dementia who was in a wheelchair, and she used to wheel herself around in in the nursing home unit. But this woman was always looking to go home. She was known to be a risk for elopement. She was always saying, I need to get home. And she was wheeling herself around, and someone left the door to a staircase on the unit open. (laughs) 
And the woman opened the door and unfortunately wheeled herself and fell down the stairs to her death in the wheelchair. So that was a case where, you know, you have someone who, yes, they were assessed, they were there was a care plan that, you know, she was at risk for elopement and for falls and someone neglected to keep this door to the stairwell closed on the unit. So that that is one of the more memorable cases because it was, you know, so awful, the outcome. You know, and, and many of the cases do end, unfortunately, with someone dying, especially the pressure ulcer cases where someone gets their pressure ulcer becomes infected and they get septic and they die. So that's the kind of, kind of cases that I, I look mm-hmm. at and I give reports on. Yeah, so uh, it, in the case uh, that you just mentioned with the fall, mm-hmm. uh, how do you learn the details of what happened? Do you speak with staff? Do you look, are there certain reports that you look at? How do you, how do you yeah. find out, how do you get down to what actually happened? That's a good question because I only have the medical records to go by. So in a case like that, the Department of Health would also be called that this incident occurred with that outcome because it was negligence. And the Department of Health, when they come in, they, they would have the to talk to, with staff and witnesses and so forth and read the medical records. In my work as a legal nurse consultant, I only receive the medical records. I don't speak to anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just look at what, what did the staff do? What, was this person properly assessed? For their risk? Were they properly care planned? And was that care plan implemented? Mm-hmm. So that's the process in pretty much any case that I get. I look at those things. And I see if any of those questions were no, they weren't properly assessed, they weren't properly care planned, or the care plan was not properly implemented, then there's a case for negligence. Mm-hmm. So, right. And I only see that through the medical records. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I, when I spoke to you uh, a couple weeks ago, I, I learned about uh, I learned about your career and why it is or how it is that you came to be uh, so good at detecting and and reading through these these documents. For our listeners, Jeanette uh, spent 20 years working in nursing homes uh, as a CNA to a nurse to a uh, uh, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, to as uh, director of quality assurance, uh, to an assistant director of nursing, and then director of nursing. Is that, yes. do I, do I yes, have that, that's that, correct. that resume was, right? <laughs> yes, there was a stint of being a nursing supervisor before okay. the director of nursing, but that is correct. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And one of the things we talked about is you were in, you were working in nursing homes before the Federal Nursing Home Reform Act 
can you explain what that act was and then and then get to explaining what kind of experiences you had prior to uh, the implementation of of that sure so yes i was um a nurse's aide in the late 70s while i was in college and that was before the nursing home reform act which was the Omnibus Reconciliation Act of 1987. So at that time, we didn't have the regulations that we live with today. And I worked on a dementia unit, and pretty much everyone was restrained when they were put into bed. Pressure ulcers were rampant. There were just so many things that were poor care, but at the time, I was still in college, I had no idea that these situations, things like pressure ulcers and restraints that caused someone to be immobile and get contracted were poor outcomes. I thought it was Mm -hmm. just the natural way, you know, this was just a consequence of being old. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't until, you know, later when I became a staff nurse and then was a supervisor, still five years working in nursing homes before the Nursing Home Reform Act, and then became a director of quality assurance just at the point where the Nursing Home Reform Act was being implemented in nursing homes, which was the early 90s. And I got to see in those years that I was working as a director of quality assurance and we were implementing these new compliance to these new regulations and we were taking restraints off people and we had to find out other ways to prevent falls. And part of that was increased supervision, increased activities. And I saw, I really embraced these regulations because I got to see the difference before they were in and then after and the quality of life and the quality of care that the residents were experiencing. So I became Mm -hmm. really passionate about the regulations and saw how important they were. Uh Uh-huh. And in a perfect world, we would we would be talking about how this nursing home reform act fixed everything, and now everything is perfect. Uh, but that is not the case. And one of the topics you mentioned to me about consequences of of this has been an increase in defensive documentation. Can you can you explain what that is and why it happens and what can be done about this? Yes, I'd love to talk about that because one of the things that I saw was I wish I could have really grasped it over the years, but looking back, an increase in quality of life and quality of care, and then it seemed to plateau. And in some cases, it went down again. And Mm -hmm. I really saw that facilities started worrying more that their medical records complied with the regulations rather than what was actually happening 
with the resident. So I'll give you an example in terms of pressure ulcers. Mm-hmm. So pretty much everyone who's in a nursing home is there because they need care and they're less mobile and they're at risk for pressure ulcers, which is an injury that happens in the skin over a bony prominence. So most commonly it happens in the sacral buttocks areas and on the heels. And so everyone that comes into a nursing home has to be assessed for that risk and a care plan developed and certain interventions implemented. So I'll give you an example of someone who I read their uh, medical record in a pressure ulcer case, and I see all sorts of defensive documentation from the physician, from the nurse on the unit, and what they're saying is, despite all the interventions that were put in place, and they named some of them, turning and positioning every two hours, and an air mattress on the bed, and a cushion in the wheelchair, and protein supplements, this resident developed a stage four pressure ulcer on their buttocks. Mm-hmm. So I'm reading this chart, and I see that those things they mention in the documentation are in place, but what they failed to mention is that that same resident who was turned and positioned while they're in bed every two hours was sitting in a chair for eight hours a day without being repositioned. So when someone is sitting in a chair and they can't shift their own weight, they have to be repositioned in that chair every hour. And this particular resident was sitting up in the chair for eight hours a day without any evidence of being repositioned. Mm. So... It it was clearly a negligence case, yet the documentation was supporting that they did everything. And if what happens in most of these cases is the Department of Health is also called as well as a lawyer, and the Department of Health comes in and too many times they're just checking off the boxes that the person was assessed and there was a care plan. And that care plan, which had the interventions that were mentioned in the defensive documentation, such as turn and position while in bed every two hours and the air mattress and the chair cushion and the protein supplements, are all given. So the Department of Health says, yes, 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 there's a care plan. The care plan was implemented. But failing to see that there was eight hours of that day that this resident was being neglected, which Mm -hmm. caused this pressure ulcer. And that's defensive documentation. And it's it's taking care of the medical record and not taking care of the resident. Mm -hmm. uh, It reminds me of uh, the the phrase teaching to the test. uh, Yes. how uh, one of the concerns in schools is how students are learning how to take tests, but they're uh, not learning about what's 
important. <laughs> that is such a good analogy. Yes, that, that really is. And, you know, as a director of nursing, I cared really about what I was seeing out on the unit and what was happening there. And, you know, that is why we're 30 years into these regulations and we're still having so many poor outcomes in nursing homes because, you know, I don't know how great the supervision of what's happening in the res- with the residents are as compared to worrying about what the documents look like. Mm-hmm. Great. So your experience, you, you see a lot of uh, reasons why things go wrong uh, in the nursing home facilities and you see some things that uh, can pre- be prevented, some things that maybe can't be prevented. But as a family member or uh, a loved one of a nursing home resident, what would you suggest for families to do in order to uh, ensure uh, quality of care for their, for their loved ones? There's many things that could be done. One of the things is to go to the care plan meetings, which are held within three weeks of admission and quarterly thereafter. I think to be there and represent your loved one and hear what the care is that's supposed to be done And I would also suggest at the end of that meeting asking for a copy of that care plan. And, you know, it it serves two purposes. Um, Nursing home staff are going to care more about the residents whose family members are involved. That's Mm -hmm. just the way it goes. The squeaky wheel, (laughs) you know, gets the attention. And... Mm -hmm. The other thing with having the copy of the care plan is that the family members get to look to see, do some research themselves and see if that care plan is really appropriate for for their loved one's needs. And, you know, going to a website like the Long-Term Care Community Coalition has, which has a lot of resources on what should be in care plans and so forth, you know, is is something they can do. I also would suggest them to keep a journal mm-hmm. and write down what's really happening. It would be amazing to see if that matches what the medical record says mm-hmm. is happening. So I think it's really important to keep a journal and document what's going on. And the other thing I would suggest is to visit on different days and different times of days. You know, very often families will be like, oh, I I see my family member on a Sunday. But it's important to make those surprise visits at different times of the day and different days and Mm -hmm. really see what's happening. And it, it kind of keeps the staff on their toes you know, to know that this family member may walk in at any time. Mm -hmm. So that would be three pieces of advice I would give for families. Okay. Great. 
And and how about on the other side of this? There are some nursing home staff members who I'm sure have their hands full, and there might be administrators who have their hands full, and are uh, are trying to do their best with the resources they have. Are there any recommendations that you might have for them uh, in order to pre prevent some of the issues that we uh, that we discussed earlier in our conversation mm, with? That's such a good question, and you know, I have a tremendous amount of compassion for both the person who's giving the direct care the CNA, the nurse's aide. It is a very difficult job. And I have a tremendous amount of compassion for the director of nursing and administrator because mm -hmm. it, they have a lot on their shoulders. They have a burden of really making sure that everything is, is working out there. And the piece of advice that I would give them from my own experience is to be hands-on. As a director of nursing, every day I went on to the unit and fed one of the residents at lunchtime. Okay. I certainly didn't need to do that, but it made all the difference in the world. The nurses' aides felt supported. They had, I would choose a resident who was really difficult to feed and who hadn't been eating well, and I'd have the time to spend with them for a half an hour, and it took that weight off the nurse's aid. And I, I formed a relationship with the direct care staff. And if I was helping them out, that was reciprocated. <laughs> they, mm -hmm. the, the expectation there was, um, was high. Mm -hmm. I also, the same thing that I said for the family members to make surprise visits, as a director of nursing, I made surprise visits in the middle of the night, at least monthly, and um, saw what was going on. And sometimes it wasn't pretty. Mm -hmm. And there was definitely fallout from those visits. The good, the really good employee really appreciated that because um, they were there with people that wanted to take shortcuts. And if you have administration that's closing their eyes to the shortcuts, then that goes on. And the standard of care is, the bar is low. Mm -hmm. And the people that really care get resentful that other people are taking the shortcuts and it's being allowed. So... That would be my recommendation is really to, if you have an administrative job in the nursing home, get out of your office and get on the unit and give a hand and form relationships. Mm -hmm. Great. Great. So we're going to close uh, our conversation with our guest recommendation segment <laughs> where I'm going to ask you uh, – to recommend two things. One is a, is a nursing home related report or news article or movie or book, and the other will, can be anything. Uh, it doesn't have to do with uh, nursing homes. So is there anything you're reading or, or watching regarding nursing homes that 
that you think our uh, our listeners might want to check out? Well, I'd always recommend the Long-Term Care Community Coalition website, mm-hmm. but I also would recommend my a blog I started a few years ago, which is www.voicesfrombehindthecurtains. Mm-hmm. And what family members will find there is some cases. The, they were actual cases. I've changed the names of the people involved in the nursing homes. But at the end of the case, I have recommendations of how to prevent it from happening mm-hmm. to your loved one. And I was inspired to write about it because many years ago while I was I was working um, on nursing home negligence cases, I read a book about the genocide in Rwanda. Um, I think the book was, um, I don't know, something left behind. But um, I remember when I was reading that, I was astonished that I wasn't really aware that that was going on when it was going on and like how things like that happen around the world without us stopping it. And then my next thought was, well, there are terrible atrocities happening right here in our nursing homes every day and we're not stopping that. Mm-hmm. And why isn't that more vocalized? And then I thought, well, because the people that it's happening to can't talk about it because most of them are have dementia and have an inability to communicate what's happening to them. So I got inspired to share their stories from reading their medical records. And so that I would... I would um, suggest it has a lot of good information yes. in there. And that's uh, VoicesFromBehindTheCurtains.com. Yes. And the book you mentioned, I believe it's, it's a Left to Tell. Oh, um, it, yes, yes. Yeah. Um, and I might have to check that out, that out too. We at, uh, at the Long-Term Care Community Coalition publish so many reports with important statistics and academic studies, but it's always important to attach uh, faces to those numbers. Definitely. Great. And how about a non-nursing home related, uh, it could be a, a re- re- article, a book, a movie, is there anything uh, that uh, you recommend? Yes. One of my favorite books from last year was The Choice by Dr. Edith Eager, E-G-E-R, and she is a Holocaust survivor, and it is a heart-wrenching and riveting story of her experience, and it's also a wonderful story about forgiveness and triumphing over the past and coming to a place where you choose your future, and you know, so that I would recommend. And, it, you know, just talking about elderly people, she was 89 when she wrote this book, mm-hmm. and she's going all around the world on book tours now wow. at the age of 91. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that would be my recommendation. Okay. 
All right. Well, now I got another another book on my uh, list in my growing bo- list of books to read. Uh, but I'll be sure to to check that out. Thank you so much for taking the time to to come on our show. I it was a, I really enjoyed the conversation, and it was great to get get the perspective of someone who has spent time both working in nursing home facilities and has also uh, spent time. Uh, working uh, in your consultant role. And I'm really grateful for your time. Oh, thank you. And I'm so grateful you asked me. So thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Nursing Home 411 podcast by the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. You can find more episodes on iTunes, Spotify, and on our website, nursinghome411.org. Our music is by Silverman Sound Studios. Till next time.